Hi everyone, welcome to Agency Unfiltered, the HubSpot Solutions Partner Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Dunn, and Agency Unfiltered is a weekly web series and podcast that interviews the owners, founders, and executives of agencies and services providers from around the world about whatever it takes to grow and scale. On this week's episode, we have on Laura Triazzi and Terry Lynn Anderson, CEO and sales manager at Market Launcher, respectively, to talk about prospecting and lead generation. With both of their perspectives, we get to talk about both the broad evolution of B2B prospecting and the cyclical nature of how sellers must change their approach to reach prospective buyers and the tactical approaches that work best from someone on the front lines. So we talk about the current state of prospecting, what businesses are looking for from sales reps and sales conversations today, and what the market launcher team does that can help others improve and or accelerate their own prospecting and lead generation efforts. And based on Market Launcher's expertise in the enterprise, Laura and Terry Lynn also discuss how these early sales conversations change as you move up market. You're listening to another episode of Agency Unfiltered. Welcome to the Agency Unfiltered Podcast. How are we doing today? Good. We're good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, we have here Laura and Terry Lynn from Market Launcher. How are things at Market Launcher? We've you know spoken before. We've had you on the podcast. We always love repeat visitors. How are things uh, since we last you know were able to connect on a microphone? Yeah, so uh, things are good. It's been a crazy year. Um, it's been a crazy three years, actually. I should say. I think we've all been on this roller coaster ride together. Sure. Uh, but we've really watched um, a lot of change happen over the last twelve to eighteen months. Um, that I think, um, you know, in a lot of ways is good for Market Launcher because we're out there on the front lines. So we're in the front of the roller coaster. So we see all the changes as they're coming. Um, so, you know, we're really focused on trying to make sure we're helping our clients navigate how this whole thing that we call prospecting looks really different today than it did a couple of years ago. Yeah. And, you know, um, uh, love the roller coaster metaphor. I love the, fr- they say that the front of the roller coaster, that's the best seat in the house, right? But uh, for the business metaphor piece, it allows you to see the twists and turns before you actually have to more acutely feel them. So I think uh, I love the metaphor there. And yes, by all accounts uh, from our conversations, but also conversations with other agencies and, and partners that I've had. Yes. Right. Prospecting, business development, a lot of the sales engagements and contacts, a lot of that's changed. Uh, And so I think that was a perfect tee up uh, for maybe the conversation we're going to have today. And so maybe that's where we'll start. And I'll just I'll hone right in on, on what you laid up there. And so what is what is the current state of prospecting in biz dev for partners, for services providers? Uh, and what have you seen be the biggest evolutions or changes over the last, you know, I think you said three years or so? Yeah, so, um, and, and I'll tee this up, but I really, I brought Terry Lynn Anderson uh, with me today because she is out there on the front line. So she really is in the front of the roller coaster. I'm a couple rows back, <laughs> <laughs> but she's out there on the front lines, just really tactically um, able to, you know, sort of figure out what's working, what isn't, and and really make those pivots. But mm-hmm. I can tell you sort of, you know, globally overall, the biggest thing that we're seeing is this heightened importance for relevance. 
Um, the days of this being a numbers game, if you reach out to enough people, you get somebody to say yes, um, you know, those days are, are, are long over and, and, and have been for a while. We've kind of watched that evolution progress over the last probably five or six years, really. But there is a, in the last, I'm going to say 18 months in particular, what we've seen in acceleration is, is a much lower tolerance for anybody being willing to take a meeting just to learn. Um, mm -hmm. It's really about coming into a meeting really prepared with the intelligence that you have been able to gather so you can quickly connect the dots between the prospect's current situation and the solution that you're offering. Um, so I'm going to let Terry Lynn talk about kind of some of the ways that she goes about doing that. But I think that's kind of the big overarching difference is yeah. how important that relevance is. And then it's not about sort of slowly, organically getting somebody to be willing to have a conversation. It's more about coming in and being very precise and, and, and specific about what you want to talk about and it being something that's highly relevant to that prospect. That's great. And Terry Lynn, I think again, to the, to um, the note here that you're on the front lines, I can't wait to extract all of the expertise uh, uh, that you have, all the recommendations you have again, um, knowing that we're, we're feeling these changes. Would you say, would you guys say that uh, 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 it's cyclical? Is this, is, should we be like time bound, you know, is there like a, a sense that, you know, prospecting biz dev sales, like, is it every X amount of years we see things change? Is this just more a sign of the times? Like, I guess maybe the root of the question is like, how can partners or other services providers best prepare for or plan for evolutions that we see and feel uh, as part of the sales process? Yeah, I can jump in and I will say that <laughs> definitely, um, you know, it, prospecting has definitely evolved into a different uh, um, situation. We used to remember when email used to work, like I, we'd get responses <laughs> and be able to, you know, book meetings that way. Email alone just doesn't work anymore at all. It, it takes that human connection. Um, it takes a very strategic, intelligent, and authentic outbound approach to get in front of the right buyers at the right time. Um, and you have to be relevant, like Lara had said. So our approach really is to make outreach via phone first and then follow with an email mm. right after. But we're using the same language as we're using on the phone. Um, there's still that need for personalization and emotional intelligence, you know, especially when it comes to a complex sale. Um, and we're even seeing now, like, you know, prospects are asking us to text them. So I do believe that we're moving in that direction as well of using text as another form of communication. So, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it, it, it sounds like, uh, not only the expectations of prospective buyers, but the channels in which they want to be reached out to, right, or are open to communicating on are also evolving. And they continue to evolve, I think, to your note about maybe uh, a heightened tolerance or like a growing acceptance of text being a, a channel. Uh, you mentioned email no longer works. Is that the biggest change we've seen or the, or the most drastic pivot from what we've seen as historically working as part of like a prospecting process? Like, if not, what has been? Like what, what, yeah. what do you feel most acutely? Oh, well, to Laura's point, she'd mentioned relevance. You know, um, the details matter. So when we're prospecting, we have a full team that's doing outreach as well as research. So we're capturing every detail in HubSpot and even things that you think might not be significant can really help in prospecting. So, you know, the big things are obvious, you know, current initiatives, projects, but it's also the small details like getting the receptionist or assistant's name. It all helps to be relevant to the person that you're reaching out to. That's super interesting. So it's 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 all of the details that you can pull together, seemingly large or seemingly small, right? And so, yeah, I think... 
what I'm hearing here is, all right, there's relevance and maybe context has never been more important. Uh, and and uh, pairing that with uh, a lower tolerance for prospect advisors, businesses to take meetings, especially if they're informal or to learn. And so, yeah, what does successful prospecting look like? You mentioned pulling in the details, but how should partners seek out and find those details and then channel that into a really effective uh, message or, or outreach, right? Yeah, I can share some examples. Um, you know, obviously to cut through the noise, um, we're getting emails all day long that are just not relevant. Um, sure. But to cut through the noise, you have to be relevant. So some examples of that are, you know, reference any past conversations we've had with anybody in the company, even if you're talking to the receptionist, you know, get their name. Hey, I talked with, you know, Sarah Smith, and she informed me you're responsible for XYZ, or I understand you're currently using this product. Um, anything that you've learned, um, research their website. Um, for example, we have a client that uh, provides CRO or clinical research services. And before I call a prospect, I will look at the company pipeline and see what trials we can speak to or the types of trials we can speak to where I know that the client has expertise in those types of trials. Look on LinkedIn. You know, look at the contacts job description for any keywords. You know, I see you're responsible for X, Y, Z. That's exactly what we want to talk to you about. Or we can make your job easier. Um, use relevant messaging based on the title or any pain points that you know that position might be feeling. Um, we use events where applicable. So if we can get an attendee list, great. But even if it's an event that's in that um, prospect's area, that we know the client's going to be at, we still will leverage that. You know, curious if you're attending, you know, this event and we'll be speaking about today's current challenges and how to overcome those challenges. Um, even if they're not attending, there could be FOMO, you know, so I know you won't be there, but let us show you, you know, what others are gonna be hearing about. Um, one thing too is use short, relevant voicemails. Be direct, to the point, um, and do it with great energy, you know. Um, for an example, you know, I, hey, I know this is going on in the industry. Like, this is exactly what we want to talk to you about. Um, uh, be, you know, very specific to them. And then follow up with a very strong call to action email. Um, it also takes the human touch to ask the right questions. Um, when someone asks me for information, we need to be asking the right questions to send them relevant information. What's important to them? When we ask these questions, honestly, it usually turns into a conversation, which turns into a meeting anyway. Um, and the, the other thing, not only relevance, provide value. Like why, why do they wanna meet? Like what are they gonna get out of the meeting? Um, offering something for free, like a complimentary gap assessment. Uh, sometimes people don't even realize they have gaps until it's explored, you know, when you're asking the right probing questions. Um, what's in it for them? So, you know, offering best practices or strategies during a call. Um, that's, that's one way to get in front of them. You know, for example, I have a, a client that specializes in PR and media relations strategies. And so I booked a, me a meeting recently by offering to share these PR and media relations strategies that can help them gain credibility, validation, and trust with their target audiences. And again, no obligation, you know, so what's in it for them? Mm -hmm. um, one thing that we do as well, um, offer results of a recent survey or a CQA if applicable to their role or in their industry. So those are some, some tips. And I just talked for a really long time. <laughs> no, yeah, it, there's, there's a ton to unpack there. I was uh, uh, simultaneously listening, um, but also <laughs> jotting down my own notes here too. Right. And so it sounds like the, the big takeaway, and I'm going to try and reflect it back, maybe try and, and help summarize too, 
but it's it's uh, what you reference and how you reference it, right? And so I think to your point, I think you mentioned like name dropping uh, mm-hmm. anybody that you've previously talked to that helps get in the foot in the door. Referencing things like event uh, or industry news, right? Other things that might be going on, whether they're attending or not. I think you mentioned like the FOMO factor, uh, and then it sounds like uh, the other one was like uh, industry taxonomy, right? And you mentioned CRO or like there was like clinical trials, which. Uh, I'm glad you specified too, because CRO, <laughs> in my, in, I, I, I had a different acronym in mind. And so that's helpful. But like clinical trials, being able to like talk the talk there too. How, I don't know how verticalized or uh, industry niched market launcher is, but how, what, what role does industry expertise play in your ability to like, you know, reference or, or use relevant messaging based on an industry's, you know, uh, their own version of a lead or, or you know what I mean? Uh, uh, where does that come into play? Well, we're, go ahead, Laura. I know you um, want to, go ahead. <laughs> no, no. So yeah, I mean, that, that, that's a, that's a big differentiator for us because, um, you know, we, we focus strictly on B2B, but above that, our niche is really around companies that have a very complex sale. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then those fall within, you know, technology. So, so med tech, fintech, um, ed tech. Um, any really complex software as a service offering. And then also professional services. So we work with architecture and engineering firms and management consulting firms. So because we've chosen that as our target audience, we've had to be really focused on then making sure that we've designed our process around taking that industry knowledge and applying it very effectively on behalf of our clients. And so that means being able to build upon anything that we've learned from our experience and exposure to those same target audiences. Um, because, you know, again, as, as Terry Lynn talked about, it's all about being relevant and cutting through that noise. Uh, and you were, t- you were asking that question earlier about the evolution and the cyclical yeah. nature of it. And I wanted to circle back to that because we, so we've been around for 22 years and, and it's been my observation that we see these shifts happening about every six or seven years. And it's mostly driven by technology and how our behavior changes based on how we're using that technology day to day. So way back in our early days, it was about leaving a very compelling voicemail message so that someone would call you back. No one calls back anymore. Now voicemail messages are really about, you know, as Terry Lynn said, being really quick and to the point and hoping that they might view the transcript of that voicemail message on their on their phone, yeah, knowing that the right. chances they may actually listen to it are, are, are pretty nil. That started to evolve when everybody stopped listening to their voicemail messages. And then it became about email. And it was really about, you know, having the tools that would enable you to be able to see what people were most responsive to. Were they clicking on a link and going to look at content? And now what we're seeing is that technology is starting to shift. And it's email by itself is a lot less effective because one, the technology has caught up with removing some of that visibility. So now we don't know if a click was really a click, you know, was that really a click or was it the firewall filtering out spam? So today it's really more about kind of leveraging this omni-channel approach where you have access to all this different information, but using it very intelligently as a way to be highly personalized to that prospect. Um, I always like to use it. The, the bad examples are the hundreds of emails I get on a weekly <laughs> basis that say, Laura, I see that you went to Southwestern University and that you live in Florida. How's the weather in Miami? Which, by the way, I'm about five hours from Miami, so I don't know how the weather is. Uh, but then they'll say something like, I'd love to talk to you about how we could improve your search engine optimization. Those are completely irrelevant points. Where I went to college and where I live have nothing to do with my website. 
Now, I realize that they're just leveraging technology to very quickly find out these things about me and hoping it's going to get my attention. What would impress me a lot more is if they said, hey, I did some keyword searches on some you know, phrases that I think are probably relevant to who you prospect to, and your competition showed up higher on the search engine results mm -hmm. than you did. I would love to talk to you about how we could optimize your search engine results. That would probably get my attention. But if you're not doing that legwork on the front end and you're just kind of using these tools to kind of grab information that's easily captured off of LinkedIn, then that's not really going to be effective. But obviously people think it is because they get hundreds of them. <laughs> well, it just goes to show too how important, well, we know uh, that uh, this is what you need to do uh, in order to be successful in prospecting in 2023, 2024 and beyond. Uh, however, we also see how hurtful uh, poor attempts at executing this can look. And it's actually more damaging Right. If you're able to do it that way, to your point, some of the examples there. And so it's like, OK, if you're going to do this, you have to go all in. You have to do it strategically and with the right amount of personalization and context, et cetera, because we know we need to. But uh, poor attempts can be damaging. Right. For that. For yeah, that. Absolutely. I, I, I'm a little worried that we're going to kill email, that it's going to cease to become <laughs> a valid form of communication because, I, you know, my inbox is just full of garbage. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm surprised you didn't take the bait there. Everyone loves to be the first one to pronounce when like a channel is dead, right? <laughs> and so you had the, you had it right there. You're like email is dead, but you're like we we don't know yet. But it's that's where we're headed. That's where we're headed. Um, Terrilyn, like going back to your uh, your role in the front lines here, how mm -hmm. do you bet? I've always assumed that prospecting and sales and biz dev it's a numbers game, right? And it's like the more outreach you do, the more you know it's it's a you know it funnels down into connections. How do you balance the numbers game uh, methodology, if that still is to be true, with the growingly, I'm assuming, time intensive process of research and personalizing and gaining the necessary context? How do you how do you balance those two things? I actually don't focus on the numbers. I will say I'm not one of those people that bangs out calls. Um, I am very strategic um, before I make calls. And so um, I do convert pretty high, <laughs> as Laura knows, um, because I am being so strategic and I am doing that research beforehand. We also have a team that does research as well. But before I make a call, I don't want to make a call just to make a call. I, I want to make sure that I have relevant information and I have done that research that I know I can help that prospect, that the product or the solution that I'm selling can solve a problem for them. So, you know, that intent is there. And, um, and like I said, the, the relevance is there, you know, I'm speaking to something that I know they may have a pain point about, um, or that they're, you know, will impact their role. So it's not just banging out calls. I, I'm, I'm very, very thoughtful and strategic before I actually get on the phones. And, and I want to tag on to that as far as referring, you know, in referencing a numbers game. Um, I, I think the change that we're seeing is it's much more about conversion metrics than it is about we start with this volume and it's going to result in this output. Instead, it's looking at those conversion metrics. And then if we can see where those conversion metrics are higher, where we're getting more traction, then you take that and apply it back up to the top of the funnel. And now you are going to get more output. But it's less about what volume you start with. And, and where you end up than it is about what is actually moving faster through the funnel. 
based but, on things like industry, you know, um, certain profiles around who, you know, if you're targeting a range of companies that are in different size brackets, you know, just kind of seeing where are those indicators across different you read my ways. mind i was about to ask what are the variables that you look at when when analyzing conversion metrics but it looks like industry biz like profile business demographic or you know company size like those are the things you look at to determine all right where should we be putting more of our strategic thought into yeah. knowing that again yeah a numbers game isn't the methodology it sounds like anymore yeah, at an account level. And then we even look at, are there certain decision makers by title or level in mm. the organization that are more responsive? You know, we might, you know, we might think that the decision maker is somebody at a VP level in an operations role. But if we're going a little bit wider on our net and we can see that actually it's somebody at the director level with a very specific title that has some keywords in it is where we're getting more traction, then that's where we're going to pivot and obviously get better output. Oh, that's great. And yeah, so who at the who at a company should we be reaching out to with the message, right? Right. That. You mentioned too omnichannel. Obviously, marketers and salespeople killed the email inbox. And so we've pivoted now to our let's make sure we lead phone first. We have a really to the point, succinct but contextual voicemail. How many uh contact attempts are you finding that you need to make or that partners are making in order to uh, actually go ahead and, and book a meeting or, or advance the conversation? Yeah, well, we are noticing that there's a lot more stakeholders involved, especially when we're calling into those enterprise level companies. Um, so it's really important that you have the right messaging right off the bat and you're creating some awareness across that ecosystem. Um, obviously, referrals are you know, gold, um, but there may be one person in the organization that's tasked with finding a solution to a particular problem and who that person is might not be obvious by their title. So when we're asking the right questions and have the right messaging right off the bat to even reaching gatekeepers, um, you know, and even other stakeholders, that, that could get you in front of the right person who's actually tasked with that, with that, um, with finding a solution. So it's interesting. So you, you mentioned a couple of times too about asking the right questions, even to potentially gatekeepers. What have you found uh, to be like the most impactful or effective questions that you ask early in the process to inform, to strategically inform right future outreach uh, for, a, for a particular business? Like what are the best questions you could ask? I will say one is what are you doing today? You want to find out what solution they're using or what their processes look like today. I love that. Do you find that gatekeepers have the answer to that question? At least enough. Maybe to, all right, now I can name drop and reference that and, you know, talk it to whoever I think the right uh, decision maker might be. Yeah, we've actually had quite a lot of success in even reaching gatekeepers. And I mean, it doesn't hurt to ask the question, right? Sure. <laughs> That's very true. You mentioned too, uh, uh, I'm glad you teed this up. I did want to ask, um, you mentioned there's a growing amount of stakeholders, right? Mm -hmm. In these types of conversations, sales decisions, especially as you move into the enterprise. We know a number of solutions partners are thinking about moving up market. We know the software at HubSpot's growing in breadth and depth, the customization capabilities, et cetera. And so I think upmarket enterprise, it's on, the, it's on the minds of a lot of partners and services providers. In addition to the increasing count of stakeholders, what else and how else do you see the prospecting process change, you know, as you move up market or, or deal with these types of businesses? 
Yeah. yeah so, go oh, ahead, Delara. Sorry. <laughs> no, you go. No, ahead. I can jump on you that. You both like that one. You both like that one. You both came in hot. Uh, excellent. Excellent. <laughs> well, and it's kind of back to your your earlier question as well as that. You know, how many touch points is it taking these days to, mm-hmm. to get a response? And, and and this is actually highly relevant to when you're moving up market and getting up into these enterprise level organizations because as Terry Lynn was talking about, there's a lot more stakeholders potentially involved in the decision making process. It also can be a lot harder to actually get to that one person who owns finding a solution yeah. to a particular problem. And so we're finding that the number of touches it takes to reach someone is a, is getting a lot higher. However, we're also finding that once you get to the right person, the conversion to get them into an engaged conversation and then get them to agree to a meeting is actually significantly higher than it used to be, which seems mm. counterintuitive to everything that we've just talked about. But <laughs> the short version of that is it's a lot harder to reach somebody. But once you do, once they let you in, there's a good chance that you're speaking their language in a way that they're willing to take that conversation forward. So if I were giving advice to anyone doing prospecting, particularly in enterprise, it's, it's going to take a lot of touches. Don't get discouraged by that. Eight, nine, 10, 11 on average to get to that person who's going to ultimately be willing to at least give you two minutes on the phone to get to that point where you can turn that into a discovery call or a demo. But it's, that, that goes up even higher um, in the enterprise organizations because you're, so many of those touches are just navigating through the mm-hmm. organization to get to that right person. But like I said, it pays off because once you get to them, then the conversion on that, you know, we, th- we track six different stages of the lead funnel and we've seen something really interesting in our reports just in the last six months where it's like the reach rate is going down and the number of touches it takes to reach is going up. But then once we get to that point, those conversion metrics into that engaged and then booking into a meeting are, are much higher than they used to be. That's super yeah. interesting. Yeah. And I think you called it too. Like, yeah, those, those almost seem like they're in contrast in one another, but it's like, yeah, if somebody's invited you in, you've proven your, you know, potential value add all the way up that it's like, okay, then, you know, once you're actually conversing with the right person, with the right message, it, it, uh, it accelerates. That's great. Right. How many points of contact uh, are you reaching out to, uh, as you know, in, in so, like an enterprise uh, organization? Yeah. So we start with an initial cycle where we're really just, we know it's all about just trying to figure out who that right person is. And so we'll start with, you know, a, a phone outreach, um, followed by a series of three emails and then another phone touch. Um, once, if we can see that, you know, we're, we're, the emails are getting to the right person. So it's really kind of five touches right out of the gate. Um, and that's really to get the list nice and clean. Once we know we have the right people, then it, then that's where someone like Terry Lynn comes in and she gets very strategic about who am I going to follow up with on this list based on how they reacted to that initial outreach, what we've been able to learn about that organization or that individual from our sales research, and then kind of honing in on who we want to actually get on the phone and get into a conversation. But it's pretty much, you know, that, that's been a good formula for us, about five touch points on the front end just to get to the right people. That's helpful to know. Um, and then um, uh, the sales research component, what tools, technologies, databases, networks, like where are you primarily conducting that sales research in order to identify those five people? Well, some of it's manual. Um, we do have a team, a sales research team, and uh, they will, you know, again, look at websites and have conversations with others within the organization. Um, but we're also using AI. So, you know, AI can obviously automate efficiencies, like make it easier to find relevant information for quality prospecting. And, you know, while 
we believe that the human connection needs to happen for complex sales. We understand that AI does play a big role in prospecting, um, sure. you know, including being able to personalize, personalize emails one-to-one um, and also in building out the right companies. So understanding their front, f- footprint online is easier to do with AI and that helps our clients target the right companies. And then we use our team, you know, to really find the right decision makers as Lara had just walked through. Um, and when you mix that AI information and the human connection, that's when really the magic prospecting happens. So some of it's manual and then we're using other tools. We use list sources as well. Um, but Laura, you can also chime in there on some of the other. Yeah, so we're, you know, we're testing a lot of things. There's so much out there. You know, there's so many <laughs> new toys to play with. And sure, so we're testing sure. a lot of things. Um, one, one thing that we're seeing um, success in very specific circumstances is intent data. Um, And it doesn't work across the board, but when it does work, it's magic. Um, And so when you can find those scenarios where the intent data does is a really strong indicator that you've got a buyer who may be actively looking for a solution that aligns with your offering, then intent data can be a great way to shortcut getting to that right person. You know, as I was talking about earlier, when you get to the right person and they have a need, then you can exponentially increase that conversion metric. And so anything that you can do on the front end to shortcut what it takes to get to that person, then, you know, that's where you're going to get much bigger output from the same effort. Yeah, Laura, you just talked about how, you know, you get, re- you get uh, emails about, you know, where you went to school and it's, it's for SEO services. And I actually just booked a meeting uh, for a company that provides those types of services, SEO, and the intent data that we had is where that company ranked on search engines and the keywords. And I used that intent data um, when I was making my outreach and I booked right away as soon as I reached somebody because I, was, I mentioned, hey, you know, for these keywords, I was doing some research and I noticed that, you know, you could, you could, um, uh, what's the word that I used? Um, you could get more exposure if you were at the top of the search engines. And right away he was like, Yes, I want to talk to you. Let's figure out how to how to solve that problem. Yeah, intent data. Yeah, problem they need to solve. Uh, positional relevance. Uh, yeah, love that. And so it sounds like intent data is incredibly powerful. As is as I you know I would have guessed. Uh, AI, generative AI. I can only imagine if you're prompting it with the right information, giving it what it needs, it could probably accelerate the creation of a lot of that like hyper contextual or personalized outreach that you can tinker and then and then shoot out. Right. But you, it is you, all about how you prompt it, you know, and that, so that you don't get the generic garbage that we're all getting. Like that's really the, the key there is, is using, um, being very strategic and intelligent about how you're prompting the AI so that it's generating something that is saying what you want to say to that particular prospect. Have you bo- boiled it down now? Do you have like a template that you use to prompt it for that type of like outreach, uh, you know, content? Not yet, but we're working on it. <laughs> Excellent. Lots of testing uh, have to, going on. Let us know. Yeah. Once you conduct your testing, uh, let us know. I'd love to know what that looks like. Uh, I think, Laura, I, f- I think you had mentioned it, uh, that you have a sales research team. I don't know if I've talked to another partner that has a dedicated sales research team. What does that role entail? And then what, how, how and what do they package off maybe to you, Terry Lynn, or others to then you know drive the, the prospecting for the business? What does that yeah. relationship look like? So this is a new role at Market Launcher, and it's one that we put in place because we were starting to see this need. Um, And and so 
we're all about how do you leverage someone like Terry Lynn, who is very good. You, you arm her with the right information. She's very good at getting a decision maker to on the phone into a meaningful conversation. She asks the right questions. And if there's an opportunity there, she's going to turn that into a, a meeting. Um, but we then don't want Terry Lynn spending hours <laughs> doing the research that arms her with that relevant information. And, and we had some people on the team at Market Launcher who were just sort of naturally good at that particular skill set and were doing a lot of that work themselves. And, and we teamed them up as a test. And, and what we found is that, yes, Terry Lynn can book exponentially more meetings if she's got somebody who's really strong at that research piece feeding her that information. And so, you know, it can be as simple as they'll start with a list. Here are the target accounts that we're going after. Here are the keyword titles that we believe are the right decision makers. We'll build out a list through our mm -hmm. list sources. Um, and they'll start with some initial outbound calling because the best intel really comes from those conversations that you can have just calling cold into a company. If you can get a gatekeeper to give you just a little bit of information or you can you know, get lucky enough to get a stakeholder on the phone, that intel is gold. It's hard to get, so we don't rely on that all by itself. But they then take anything that they've learned from that initial outreach and they're looking at other sources. Um, Zoom Info is a source that you know we're consistently tapping into. Um, to everything from, you know, finding that intent data uh, to, you know, any other sort of, you know, keyword searches that we can do relative to, you know, something in, in an individual's title that might start to link it to this person's been tasked with solving this problem. Um, they'll go on LinkedIn and look at profiles. They'll look at, um, once we've kind of honed in on who we think the decision maker is, then we can look at things like, you know, what are they posting about on LinkedIn? Um, are there any clues or what does their bio say on LinkedIn about what their key areas of focus are for that company? And so kind of packaging all of that and then putting it into HubSpot, you know, so everything is captured in HubSpot through various fields. And then that's going to populate for Terry Lynn. Okay, we've now done in-depth research. Here's an individual that we believe is a good prospect for this offering based on what we've learned. And so that's going to prompt her. So I don't know, Terry Lynn, what does that look like? When you log in, you've kind of got a list of key yeah. prospects to go after. And, and kind of the more information we have, the higher priority they are. Yeah, it's either in fields in HubSpot or you might even see like it in a snippet in the notes section and it's very detailed. Like, you know, the sales research team will even include their LinkedIn and maybe pull some keywords from their title or their responsibilities that I can utilize in my outreach. Um, and like I said, go back to the CRO um, you know, um, example that I shared, um, they might even, sh you know, share the pipeline of what trials they have and where our client has expertise, so I can talk to that. Um, so they're very, very specific and leave very detailed um, information in that snippet. Um, and I've, I've booked many meetings with that sales research um, snippet, so. That's great. And so it sounds like, I know we've talked a ton about just like the evolution or how does prospecting evolve? It almost sounds like my read here is that like the, the inside sales function has, is evolving too. And there's a growing importance of, of uh, sales research and having dedicated resources to put and gather. We'll do all the research, but then gather into a place uh, for someone like you, Terry Linda, to go action. Absolutely. And then uh, it sounds like, too, the data is going into HubSpot, but then whether it's fields or however, but it's actually helping you prioritize your day. The system is, is helping prioritize or it sorts those contacts 
by key information or volume of information to, to streamline your day. Is that, yeah, is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, absolutely. They do pin it. They'll pin the note to the top so that that's readily available for me. And it's such a time saver for me too, because everything's right there that I need. All that relevant inf information is at the top of the page. So That's great. And there's certain things we can put in fields too, so that we can then do reporting, so yeah. that we can see is there a particular um, item that we're finding we get a higher conversion on, and then we can direct the sales research team now go find this information on more prospects. Well, going back to the uh, you know analysis on conversion data, right? That's now informing and making sure that your research team is more strategic in where you where you send them and where do they do that the research. Right. Um, uh, ladies, as we come up on time, I do want to sneak in one final question. We ask uh, the, the same question at the end of every episode. What's the strangest part of agency life? That's an interesting question. The strangest part. Hmm. What's the strangest part of prospecting life? You know, there's got to be, <laughs> if we want, we can, you know, contextualize it for this conversation too. Uh, let me think. Yeah, I got to think about that. You're going to have, you're going to have to edit out all our homes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I think, you, well, it, this is probably going to just sound like a typical answer, but um, strange and, and, and part of what I love about it is just the opportunity to work with such a broad range of clients because sure. they're so, you know, they're all so different. It's like, and we work with everything from startups to, you know, big blue chip Fortune 500 companies. So we get, and, and that's what, when I talk about how we have a front row seat to changes happening <laughs> in the industry, that, that's why we see it so fast is because we work with such a broad range of clientele. And so it can be really interesting and strange um, to see how different companies approach just their whole sales process and the discipline or lack thereof that they may have and how they're measuring success mm -hmm. and how they are, um, what resources they put behind it. So I, I think from just a, what's strange about agency life, that's, that's a big <laughs> one is, is that you get to sort of see this cross weird cross section because <laughs> you would think that, you know, companies, once they get to a certain level would all sort of approach this process similarly. And the fact that they don't always, always surprises me. Yeah, the path of optimization would lead them into some sort of like sameness, you know, yeah. but uh, that doesn't seem to be the case. Yeah, super interesting. Yeah, and I will say because we do work for so many different clients and sell so many different solutions and products, um, even the people that we reach out to, you can just see those different personalities based on titles and everything too. So that's a little bit strange and different. It opens you up to a diverse array of businesses, but yes. then to your point. But I like that because yeah, yeah. it keeps keeps you on your toes, you know? So I actually and like each that. with their own sales process and methodologies and a level of investment and resourcing. And to your point, there's some value add for yourselves as well. Cause then you get, you know, uh, you get to build up, you know, a fairly robust view of, of what can and cannot work uh, for prospecting and, and sales outreach. So um, puts a bow, I think on this conversation, but I know uh, we're coming up on time. So I appreciate you both coming on. Um, talking about both the evolution we've seen, we are seeing as it relates to prospecting, what does effective, successful prospecting look like, but then also getting some actionable tips, Terrilyn, from you on the front lines. Uh, I know it was super valuable, super insightful for me. can imagine it's the same for those that tuned in today. So thank you both for, for joining the podcast. Well, thank awesome. you. Thanks for having us. And for everyone that's tuned in today, this has been another episode of Agency Unfiltered.